Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope and would just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Hans Apple, and we have been trying to scheduled this uh, episode for about several weeks, but it's good to be able to connect. And of course, we're going to talk about the work that he's doing with uh, Teach Better, his writing uh, as an author, speaking, courses, all of that. Uh, so for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Han? Oh man, I'm so excited to finally get this scheduled. I uh, appreciate the, the invitation. Uh, yeah, so Hans Apple, um, I uh, spent the last 20 years as a middle school counselor. Uh, I love middle schoolers. They're crazy. They're smelly. They're like little children and grown up adults all within the same hour. So it's super fun. Um, I am also the director of culture for the Teach Better team, which I know we'll get into. I uh, love the work that they're doing and, and that we get to do together. And uh, recently I wrote a book called Award-Winning Culture. So uh, that's, that just came out, uh, I guess, last spring. So I'm super proud of that. That's getting out there and, and really helping uh, school leaders reshape the way that they think about school culture and, and social emotional learning. Mm. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up and what attracted you to K through 12 education? That's such a good question. You know, I guess to know a little bit more about me, you have to know, I believe that education at its highest level is about inspiring others to discover and develop their joy. And isn't that what life is all about, right? Like living out your why, understanding your own unique strengths and passions and aligning those to some deeper meaning. I think that's purpose. Growing up, though, I was your classic ACEs kid. I was child of divorce, abusive home, health issues. I always tell people, Dr. Will, I could predict what kind of evening it was going to be with my dad based on how he walked through that back door. I knew instantly how the evening was going to go based on how that door slammed. So at a very early age, uh, school became my safe haven, my place I could go. I could be age appropriate. I didn't have to worry about solving complicated adult emotional issues. I could just be a kid. So, you know, my coaches, my friends, my teachers, they became like family to me. Now, the interesting thing is, as I was just at the tail end of high school, getting ready to head off uh, to the next stage of life, I met my wife. So we essentially were high school sweethearts. And she came from this huge educator family. She's fourth generation educator. Um, and so we'd go over there for like family dinners and get togethers. And it was like an educator conference every time everybody was around each other. So I think as I'm trying to figure out who I am and where I fit in the world, I ended up sort of being surrounded by this incredible family that were, uh, powerful servant leaders. So as I kind of shifted into college, I eventually kind of found my way into education and realized, okay, this is really what I want to do. But Back to your original question, what did I envision myself doing as a child? Mm -hmm. I, I thought uh, I probably would be, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought I would probably be a, uh, a magician, actually, uh, because I grew up 
doing magic tricks and I put my way through college doing close-up magic. So, uh, you know, besides the, you know, dreams of playing basketball in the NBA and all that, I really, I think I, I would have to reflect and go back and, and think that uh, edupreneur uh, was probably always there in that sense of, you know, finding a way to, um, you know, take a skill and, and uh, do something with that skill to serve other people. And so back then it was doing magic tricks for people. <laughs> so you are the director of culture at Teach Better. Uh, tell us what, tell us about Teach Better. What is it? And what is the kind of, what kind of work are you doing there? Yeah, Teach Better is an amazing group of people. They're really <clears throat> committed at this point to reimagining what education can become. So, you know, there's all kinds of content that they're putting out, blogs, podcasts, they're doing professional development all around the world. Um, lots of live uh, opportunities as well to learn. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a great fit. I've actually been able to come in as the director of culture and do one, one of the things that I'm doing is it's called Best Intentions, which is like a live PD series where we bring in authors and speakers and, and people to go through uh, amazing content that we share with our network. Um, but also just kind of being there as a SEL resource, um, really, you know, a, a leader in that uh, school culture space. So, um, you know, being able to consult uh, with districts and, and uh, you know, folks that are trying to kind of reshape what they're doing in their buildings and districts. So it's been super amazing. I love the Teach Better family. Uh, we always kind of joke that it really is like a family there. I know, you know, a few people from Teach Better and, and they're just great people. So you are an author of a few books. Um, I, I always see people on Twitter uh, sometimes where they're at a, a, a Barnes and Noble uh, or somewhere and they're like, my book is out and they take a picture. And I'm like, man, that gotta be cool. That gotta be a great feeling uh, to do that. Cause I can imagine myself going to the checkout counter, you know, and then turning, you know, doing the book like, do you see? You see resemblance, you see, you see. <laughs> um, but one of your books is, as you mentioned, award-winning culture. What was sort of the, what is the book about and what were you seeing that actually called you to write the book? Yeah, Dr. Will, man, if you would have told me I was going to write a book 10 years ago, I would have thought you were crazy. That wasn't on my bucket list at all. Um, one of the things that happened is we had a really scary incident where um, one student assaulted another student in class. And it was really terrifying. Um, and uh, counselors, principals were called in to sort of deal with the aftermath. Um, and really what it came down to is uh, two friends, but one of the friends didn't have the ability to regulate their emotions. And it was a really horrible incident. I spent the rest of that spring, this is probably 10 years ago now, um, you know, in meetings and, and trying to, uh, you know, comfort people and, and, and suggest to people that we were a safe school. And Dr. Will, the, the reality is we were not a safe school. We were a toxic space. We were very re reactive, what I would call, uh, putting out fires. And that spring, that really was the, the kind of the turning point where I realized as a counselor in the building, I have a tremendous amount of like personal responsibility in 
building uh, the culture through SEL and character development, but I can't do it alone. This has to become a team thing. This has to become a parent thing. This has to become a community thing. This has to be an all hands on deck thing. And over the next probably six, seven years, we took our culture from being this really horrible space at that low point to really winning every award that you could imagine for school culture, empathy, kindness. Um, we were winning state, national, even global awards. And so we essentially started getting all of this recognition. And uh, I'll back up. My wife works at the same school. She's the leadership teacher. Uh, me being in the role of school counselor, we started getting questions about well, what's the secret sauce there, Dr. Will? What, what are you doing that's so different than everybody else? Why are you getting you know, better attendance, better grades, better, you know, uh, outputs from, you know, some of the programs that you're bringing into your school, everything just feels different at your school. And so as we started getting these questions, it really forced my wife, Jennifer and I to look inside. And we, so we started writing about it. We started, you know, doing some small speaking gigs about, you know, what we were doing. And that just kind of kept snowballing because people wanted to know more. And the more we wrote, the more we spoke, the more we really realized we have something that needs to go beyond our school. It needs to be shared uh, with lots of folks. And so that was really the genesis of the early days of, of eventually writing uh, this book, which was award-winning culture. And it really is like a school-wide uh, playbook, you know, a framework for uh, leaders to come in and really understand how they can reshape their culture. Um, and then the interesting thing is my wife, she's uh, just about to release her book, which is the sequel to this, which, okay, sort of takes that big picture view. And now she boils it down into what does that look like at the classroom level? Mm. And so that's, that's being released this spring. We're super excited about that. But loving, loving seeing the award-winning culture show up all over the place. You know, back to what you said about showing up at like a Barnes and Noble the craziest thing for me is being able to do a book study with people across the, the world, right? Like not even in our country, like people reaching out, people that I never would have imagined touching with my book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, you know, coming together as a school or as a community reading this book and, and, you know, reaching out to me. And I'm like, wow, this is just kind of mind blowing. You don't, you don't really set out to, uh, you know, go global like that. And that's, that's a pretty special experience. Yeah, but see, that sounds like, you know, a massive undertaking because what you're talking about in a school building, you're talking about adults and children who are showing up with their own traumas, their own issues that they're dealing with from home and putting everybody together with these rules and I mean, you know, a teacher could have gotten into a bad argument with, you know, their spouse and come to school and they're on edge, a kid says something and then they say something that they shouldn't say. Same thing with a kid. They look, they hadn't eaten or they were beaten or they saw, you know, drugs or murder or what have you. And they come to school and they're not quite at a good, good space. And a teacher says, will you read paragraph three? I don't want to. 
and the teacher gets upset and all of a sudden, boom, you got something cracking right there. When schools, I mean, here's my thing. A lot of schools don't have social workers and they don't have psychologists. Guidance counselors are there, but with a lot of schools, guidance counselors are test coordinators and they're doing the schedule and they're doing all kinds of stuff. So they don't really have time to do what ASCA says in terms of giving, you know, counseling and working with students. How can, how can schools, when they don't have, right, the personnel on staff, uh, when they are quite honestly focused on test scores and probably nothing else, really do what you're talking about in terms of the, the whole, that whole person, that culture where people feel heard, they feel uh, inspired, they feel supported, and people really are able to address certain things and as well as give people the skills to recognize their triggers so that they can, that they can actually take a step back and not allow that one moment to turn into something. Yeah, you said so many things in there that resonate with me. Um, you know, I, I think first off, we have to change that narrative that we're all about test scores. That can't be education. The research suggests that if we only focus on academics, we're only giving students 30 to 50% of what they need to be successful after high school. So that means if we do everything that we're supposed to do, you know, hit all the standards, kids pass all the tests, and we've only focused on academics, they will graduate with essentially failed educational experience. So we, we've got to first off understand that we have to meet kids where they are. The average student today has as much anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. That means most kids that are walking around your school would have been hospitalized for how they're feeling on the inside. I think you're 100% right. SEL work starts with the adults. It starts with giving adults a framework and a, a way of thinking about school in a different way. Um, so I, I, I so love what you said about, um, you know, in many ways, um, you know, kids have their own things that they're dealing with. And when they're walking in the, the room, uh, they may not have uh, access to a psychologist or a social worker or a counselor or somebody else to help deescalate that situation. That's a very valid point, Dr. Will. What I would say is, we've got to get to a point where SEL and character isn't just a thing that we do on a Friday for 30 minutes. It's not just a lesson. It's not just something that we put up on a, a poster around the school. It is actually embedded into the lesson design of what we're doing. And, and with that, right, we, it's got to be, you know, not only character, which is kind of that why piece, not only social emotional, which is that what, but you mentioned the trauma informed, which is really who they are, right? And, and, and every other layer, including, which we haven't touched on yet, the equity piece, right? That's got to be our lens that we see all this work through. Because you know, as well as I do, this work can be uh, oppressive if we do it wrong. So uh, yeah, I, I, there's so much of what you said there that I could speak to, but man, I love I love the, the thinking that uh, you're right. This can't just fall on 
a single person, like a counselor, psych, social worker. And, and one of the things that we're trying to do in, in our work uh, that, that we do with award-winning culture is show people how to make this part of everything else you do. Because that's when it really starts becoming authentic, not only to the students, but the adults. So each of us, you know, we, we, we come into this, this game of entrepreneurship in different ways. We follow different paths to get here. When you were, when the idea, or maybe it's something that, you know, like for me, I never even thought about it. I just had someone approach me at a conference because I had been speaking at that conference for the for past four or five years. And that person said, hey, what, do you do consulting work? Can you come to my school? And I was like, okay. It never <laughs> dawned on me to actually pursue this. What were your steps in going from educator to entrepreneur and what were you looking at in terms of, you know, you know what you're doing at your full, your full-time work. How did you sort of compare that to the marketplace in terms of what's out there, what people, what school districts are paying for and how you can actually fit into a space? I would love to tell you, Dr. Will, that I had this like master plan that I, you know, sort of mapped out the last five years to get to, you know, where I stand right today. <laughs> and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, I, I feel like it, it's been all about uh, how can I serve the people that come before me? And so initially it was, you know, just taking phone calls and, you know, hopping on a, a you know, a video chat and trying to help support people. And then it was, okay, how do we put out some content so we can maybe not have to field so many of these calls and just be able to say, here, go read this or go listen to this, go, you know, whatever. Um, and, and that just kept growing. And it, it kind of got to the point where, um, you know, I realized uh, there's, there's something special here. Um, and this is a message that, that needs to be out there. Um, I, I think within our building and even <clears throat> locally, I saw some things in education that I wanted to change. I, I saw the opportunity to infuse agency and student voice into some of the things we're doing. And I think, I think, you know, when you realize that there's a better way to do something, you know, it's, it's that old Maya Angelou quote, uh, you know, when you know better, do better. And I, I think that's kind of what I, I started realizing is uh, people are doing what they think is right. They're, they're, they're trying to be compliant educators are trying to hit all the standards, um, but they're missing this whole other piece. And um, it, from my own experience, from, from some of our trials and tribulations, a lot of failure along the way, we learned some things that we thought we could share with other people. And so it, it really started being, you know, well, okay, if I'm going to write a book, then I'm going to reach out to a bunch of authors and find out what that entails. What does that look like? Um, you know, how do you do that? Um, you know, if I'm going to start, you know, going and doing speaking or training or workshops, you know, let's, let's reach out to folks and find out what are people charging? What, how does that work? You know, how do you structure your time? How does, how does, uh, you know, like you and I were just talking about, um, 
travel, um, you know, before we, we started this podcast, you know, so all of those little pieces, you have to start uh, understanding and, and breaking down. And that's been, that's been uh, part of the journey to learn, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's a journey that all of us, you know, have to learn Like we, we have to get those systems in place and, you know, actually put together programs and not sort of this desperate of here, 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 but like real packages of if someone wants me for a day, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone says, hey, you know, can you do a series of X, Y, and Z that you actually have something that you can put together and then sort of tweak based upon the individual needs of the schools, as opposed to you, you're looking like, um, hmm, what do I do? <laughs> what? How does this work out? Uh, because you have not put together, you know, that that system. Uh, so, you know, even after, I'm still working on that, even after the time that I've been spending doing it, because, you know, for years I did Google training and then I just got bored with it. And after my last one, I didn't feel good about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with Google. Google is done. And I had to figure out my sort of, what do I want to do that is ex- expansive, right? That That's my bigger, bigger why. And from there, fi- figure out how do I put things in place in terms of systems and developing a program. So it, it's been, you know, a journey for myself as well. Yeah, I, I think... I think the why part is is really interesting because I think we all kind of sort of think we know what our why is when we start off in education, but I, I feel like that becomes so much more crystallized and even shifts slightly uh, as we move through. And and yeah, I, I, I can relate to so much of what you said. I think, you know, even when you talk about putting that package together, well, that package continues to evolve. You know, what you bring to, uh, you know, your clients um, I think it just continues to get honed in, right? And, and uh, you know, maybe you started in Google, but now that's shifted to another, um, you know, platform or whatever you want to call that. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's a quality thing. It, that, it would sort of be like a teacher teaching the exact same lesson for 30 year career, right? Like hopefully that's continuing to get better and tighter and, and tweaked over time. Yeah, but... We know, we know some folk. <laughs> I was talking out because I was talking to the tech guys today and they were like, well, we're going to make these changes. I said, hey, 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 those teachers are not going to like that. He said, but, but, mm. I said, let me tell you about your audience, man. I said, there are teachers out there who, if you, if you, if you would have looked, they taught like third grade, fifth grade second grade, sixth grade, and then they went back. And I guarantee you there are teachers out there who still got kindergarten resources, even though they haven't taught kindergarten in 20 years, somebody still got all of their stuff throughout the years. And I said, those are the people you are dealing with. Teachers are creatures of habit. Even my wife, I don't, I don't, they were just on a shelf and I was just looking at them. I was like, listen, you haven't taught you know, second grade in forever. Like, why are these things still here? 
they need a new home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about social emotional learning, but what is it, right? Because some people just like when they hear, you know, blended learning or they hear uh, diversity and inclusion or cultural responsive teaching, they hear these buzzwords, but they might not know what they actually mean and specifically in context to the classroom or the school environment, you being a uh, counselor, what is social emotional learning and what do you think people get wrong or misunderstand about it? I think at its basic level, SEL is human skills. It, it's those, uh, you know, human connections. It's the ability to relate. It's the ability to understand oneself. It's the ability to regulate uh, your own feelings and emotions. Um, it's, it's how we relate to ourselves and others. Um, and I, I think, you know, you touched on it earlier about the adult piece. I think a lot of times that's one of the hugest things that gets overlooked is, you know, what are we doing for adult SEL? What are we doing to make sure that uh, teachers are showing up in the best space to be able to stand in front of their students uh, and speak and, and instruct? Um, and, and, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. I think, um, I think one thing that, that people get wrong with SEL um, and I would say it kind of goes hand in hand with what I see with PBIS type stuff, you know, RTI. Um, I, I think sometimes these uh, big ideas can become uh, a tool to uh, segregate and uh, um, really just uh, oppress. Uh, you know, various students, you know, you talked about the kid that walks in that uh, had to deal with crazy stuff happen at home, and now is being asked to read a passage and doesn't want to, and now is dealing with uh, discipline or consequence or um, whatever else. I think, I think if we're doing SEL right, we're able to uh, really meet kids where they are, and meet ourselves where we are, and uh, teach uh, both adults and students how to um, really get themselves into the place of being ready to be a learner or a teacher or a coach or whatever it is. So I think at its most basic level, it is those human skills. Mm. I'm just, when you, when you said, I'm just thinking about how some administrators make it worse when a kid has got a kid has done something and a teacher is like here they are ready to shake that kid like a rag doll and they send the kid out because they're like i'm done i did the administrator sends them right back <laughs> and now i'm thinking oh my goodness Sure. That is a bad recipe for something right there. Mm -hmm. and, instead of maybe the administrator, and again, I, I don't have all the, the, the answers, right? I, I just know that I have had conversations with teachers who are like, I am fed up. And there is not that support 
for me because again, what what I don't know if people understand this, if parents understand this, if people outside of outside of education understand this. Teachers are human beings, and when they leave the school, they got to go back to their own home. And you and no one wants to have that type of day at school, and then you have to go back to your own home. And how do and how do you decompress to be able to give your full self, you know, to the people at home, so that you don't carry that that back with you? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one one follow up thought to that because. You know, right now, you know, recording this, all this pandemic and, and things have been going on, lots of people doing uh, all kinds of things to try to meet kids' mental health. I, I think it's it's more on the radar than it's ever been. And so I'm seeing lots of teachers that are trying to do things like uh, check-ins, right, morning meetings, like opportunities to kind of assess where their kids are before they jump into the instruction, which is all great stuff. The part that's getting missed all over the place is that when we're doing these check-ins, we also have to be doing the self-check-in as the adult. And here's the crazy part. It's, it's not crazy, but it's, it's going to sound crazy to some of your listeners, Dr. Will. We also have to be willing to share how we're doing. We have to be vulnerable enough and put ourselves out there to say, well, here's the thing. Last night, my kid was up till two in the morning. I didn't get much sleep. So right now on a scale of one to five, I'm, I'm about a one. So I'm going to try to get through, but I want you guys to know where I'm at. Now that's scary for some adults, especially for teachers who feel like they need to be in control and the sage on stage at all times. But the reality is that's a relationship builder. When we have the opportunity to teach kids that it's okay not to be okay, it's okay that we need to take a few minutes and collect ourselves. That is such a powerful gift that we can give kids. So I, I love what you're saying there. I think, um, you know, part of the adult piece, I think, you know, I've kind of mentioned uh, the teacher side of it, but you brought up the principal side of it and you're absolutely right. Uh, when we start talking about award-winning culture, we're talking about every staff member. We're talking about the community piece, like everybody that potentially touches kids' lives needs to be on the same page, operating from the same mindset. Mm. So I want to th throw this out there to you because earlier you mentioned how this work can be oppressive. And I know Dr. Dana S Simmons has talked about that. Absolutely. And I've, tr I've, I've tried to ask her without getting any real clarification because I, I want to have her on the show. I'm going to ask her about it. But when you hear some things she says and other people say, well, this is just sort of, this can reinforce some, you know, white supremacy ideologies. And I'm, and some of that stuff, I just want to know, I need some specifics because I really want to understand this. Uh, when you say oppressive, what, what, what do you mean exactly? Well, just look at discipline data, Dr. Will, okay. you know, you pull up who generally gets in trouble in a school, who generally uh, is the ones that uh, are, you know, uh, getting penalized, who generally back to your example, gets sent out of the room. 
it's a certain group. It really is. Let's be real about it, right? It, it's a specific group of students. And I think when we realize that and we go, okay, wait a second, um, you know, back to PBIS, we were, we were talking about that for a second. This is supposed to be about catching kids doing really positive behavior. Why are there some people that are using PBIS as here's more rules, here's more things that I'm going to nail you on if, if I don't think that you're doing those things. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you can just look at straight data and you see, you know, the kids that are, are uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, failing, you know, failing this, uh, you know, piece of this, it is students that are, uh, you know, marginalized. It is students that come from traumatic backgrounds. It is students that, um, you know, have uh, IEPs, right, and 504s. It is the same groups of students. It's not your well-to-do white kids that are being penalized in the same way. Mm -hmm. Now, could that be... How can I put it this way? Due to cultural capital, right? And what I mean by that is I once had a student who got in trouble because he was asked to read paragraph three, right? He's like, I don't want to. And the teacher got upset and of course sent him out saying that he was being defiant. And I just pulled him to the side and I said, listen, Okay. When the white teacher asks you, do you want to read paragraph three? That is not a question. That is a statement. You read paragraph three. Now this dude comes from, he was a black kid. When our parents ask us something, that's an ask. Because when they want you to do something, they tell you to do it. They don't ask you would you like to go somewhere else if you don't have a choice? So, I mean, again, the cultural capital of the dumb and decided means you understand X, Y, and Z versus if you don't understand that game, if you don't understand that language, if you don't understand what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, yeah, you're using the word cultural capital, which I like that word, that phrase. Um, yeah, I just, it's, it's our previous experiences. It's our, it's our backgrounds. And I, I think it's just um, ignorant uh, from white people to assume that everybody that steps in front is the same. And not, not that I, I don't feel like, you know, every white teacher out there is doing that. Obviously there's people mm -hmm. that are crushing it and doing amazing with all very uh, different uh, groups of folks. Um, but but I think that, that 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 is something that we get wrong sometimes uh, in this space of SEL and, and character and PBIS is, um, you know, we don't all come from the same background. And so being able to put this through a lens of, let me understand you as a person. Mm. I think that's got to be, you know, step one. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to try to see if I can get her on the show. I've been trying she's amazing she really is amazing to see what she has to say about this topic because um i was just reading another article where she was like she left this mm -hmm. yale position she had because of i was like 
Okay. Okay. This is some serious stuff here. Yeah. Uh, and so thank you, Hans, for coming on and dropping so many gems today. I know the audience is going to uh, appreciate, you know, what you said. Uh, I, I was like, wow, because I never thought about it in terms of school culture, right? I never thought about it in terms of everyone sort of coming to the table and participating in it in a way to make everything, you know, a, a successful experience for everyone involved in the building. Uh, so before we go, for those, okay, what is the best advice that you've received from another entrepreneur? And what is your advice to those educators who are looking to become an entrepreneur? I think the best advice I've ever heard is win or learn, but never lose. And, and I love that growth mindset around uh, entrepreneur work. Um, you know, Dr. Will, we're not going to get it perfect every time, but we got to get better every day. Like I got to be better today than I was yesterday. Mm. So I love that, that piece of advice. Um, I guess my piece of advice would be, um, slow down, pause, and, and listen to uh, what people naturally seek you out for. I think there's such a rush to, uh, you know, hang your shingle up before you really know uh, what it is that you really bring that's unique to the table. And I think the ability to pause and, and sort of take stock and reflect on where are people seeking me out? What are the kinds of things that people come to me about? And, and how does that, how does that make me feel? How does that light me up? Is this, is this, uh, is this something that maybe I can help support other people with beyond just my school? Wow. That's all right. Another <laughs> gym people, another gym. So thank you Hans for coming on again. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a You're blast. Welcome. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe. I need you to share it. You know, give it out to your network. Share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of that. And yes, I do like the stars on Apple Podcasts. But can I get <laughs> some reviews because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Hans Apple for coming on. And I would like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people invest in you, EDU, peace. <laughs>